Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Welcome back, everybody. This is the College Football Survivors Show, where we go deep into the season's contenders for the college football playoff. I'm Bob Ekayeri, and I'm joined, as always, by Shehan Jeharaja, national college football writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X at CFB Survivor Show, where you can participate in polls, send us feedback. We always enjoy anything you send our way. If you get a chance, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But here we are. We had the penultimate CFB committee rankings. Not a whole lot changed that we were expecting. Uh, you know, Georgia's still number one. Michigan moved up to number two. Washington moved up. Florida State rounds us out at number four. And then with the one-loss teams, Oregon maintains as the top one-loss team, followed by Ohio State, which has moved down to number six, Texas and Alabama. Those are our main eight contenders at this point. Also, I'll note, as far as the G5 competitors for the New Year's Six Bowl spot, Tulane moved up. They are now number 22. They moved up one spot, as well as Liberty. They moved up. The undefeated Flames are now number 24 in the current ranking. So we'll keep an eye on them. Maybe an outside chance SMU, if they beat Tulane and Liberty loses. We'll we'll worry about that um, as it goes down the line. But Shehan, how are you? What are your thoughts on this penultimate ranking? Yeah, it's been a long week for me. Back on uh, on Monday, I actually did sort of the Texas circuit. I, I went down to Waco. I went down to College Station. I went back up. And I know that we have some people here who are from the north and say so they don't get it. Uh, that's seven hours of driving. That That is like Texas is nuts. Just to be able to get between these schools is nuts. So good to be back. Good to be a, a little bit more well-rested than earlier this week. You know, from a rankings perspective, I'm glad, of course, that Washington remains at number three. I think that they should have been, you know, ahead of Florida State this whole time. They did move up there last week. Michigan at two, Georgia at one, obviously what we expected. I was curious to see where Ohio State would end up after losing that game against Michigan. I think that six makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, if they had been seven, that probably would have been justified to me just being uh, behind Texas. I think that Texas, you look right now, they obviously have a top 25 win over Kansas State. They have a win over Alabama on the road. I, I think they're being a little undervalued, if I'm being quite honest. And it's going to be a tough situation for them based on where they are, just because instead of playing number 12 Oklahoma in a chance to uh, avenge their only loss, they're going to be playing number 18 Oklahoma State in the conference championship game. So it really would be something if in the final year of the legacy Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma, if the Big 12 played itself out of the college football playoff spots because Oklahoma State in double overtime recovered a fumble against BYU. That would really be something. Oh, goodness. You know, and it's funny, too, because there's scenarios we'll go through these where even the question is, is the Big 12 potentially going to play itself out or even 
could the Pac-12 manage to play itself out under certain circumstances, depending on how all these games develop? One thing's for sure, we've never had this many contenders this late in the season, and it doesn't feel like there's one team that's just going to, we're just waiting to crown them because once they get into the playoff, they're just going to destroy everybody. There's enough mystery here. I mean, Alabama's number eight. There's never been a number eight team that's made it in the CFP before in the final playoff run, but this season, it doesn't seem there's many scenarios where Alabama could make it in. They, all they really have to do is just beat Georgia, and it seems plausible that they would be one of the teams in those final four. So, so much to talk about here, um, especially who benefits from whose losses. I think we're going to be getting a lot of conversation, too, about rooting interests going into this weekend. With Championship Weekend, each game, I mean, and all four uh, uh, of these, you know, actually all five, pardon me, of the uh, of the great P5 championship games have a lot of relevancy in who's going to make this playoff. You know, let's take a second to go ahead and act as a mock committee. I'll let you introduce us into this one, Jayhan. How how should our listeners see this? Yeah, good question. So back last year, I got a chance to be part of the college football playoff mock selection committee. And it was a great chance. I, I got to sit next to, you know, Deuce McAllister and Kirk Morrison and uh, EJ Manuel was there. So and I got to tell those guys who made millions of dollars playing football that actually they were thinking about football wrong. Actually, you should listen to me instead whenever you're ranking teams. So that was definitely a, a unique experience. But here's kind of how the process works in the room. You know, you kind of batch teams, basically. So, you know, you you get basically a first ballot of where, you know, everybody comes in basically with a prepared top 25. And you do them in short periods at a time. And so you'll submit maybe your top six teams. And then the committee will have a discussion about one through six. And then you'll maybe submit your seven through 14. And I want to be clear, the committee does spend as much time on number 18 as it does on the top four. Now, we can argue whether that should be the case, but that's just how the process works. And so here's how I want to do things. I think that we should go in and we should say, let's go right down the list. So obviously, we have uh, seven teams remaining in our college football playoff uh, contenders pool at this point. Let's go through. Let's start at number one and and let's have a discussion about who ends up being where, and we'll go straight one through seven down the list. All right, sounds good. Well, number one, I think both of us will agree is going to be Georgia. I think that's the safest bet at this point. Until this upcoming week's game, Georgia retains that number one spot by by nature of their wins, by nature of the fact that they're going for their 30th consecutive win in the SEC title game. I think that's the safest bet right now. But then beyond that, I could see some quibbling. I have Michigan as number two. I think you do too. I think everyone after the, the last week's big game, it's it's hard to argue with them. I think Michigan number two is equally safe. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, you know, let's just take a step back real quick. Uh, well, I think part of this is we also need to project kind of what we think is going to happen this week as well. And we had some discussion about that yesterday. We ultimately agreed on what we feel like uh, is going to happen in each of these conference championship games. We have Georgia beating Alabama in the, in the SEC championship game. We have Michigan beating Iowa. I think that's a pretty safe bet. We had Oregon beating Washington. So that's the scenario that we're going to use for uh, coming together with our top seven. Although, again, 
in the second half of this show, we can have a conversation as well about what would happen if things go the other direction. Florida State will project to beat Louisville. Texas will project to beat Oklahoma State and Alabama. Of course, we will project to lose against Georgia in this scenario. We we had an opportunity to talk through some chaos scenarios last week. We'll get into the weeds a little bit more as well this week, but let's work with that. So Georgia, if they were to, to beat Alabama, obviously they would have a win over Alabama to cement themselves as the number one overall team in the country. Uh, they also, the back half of their schedule ended up doing them some favors. Missouri ended up being a lot better than people expected. Ole Miss remained a top 12 team. Tennessee, still a top 25 team. So their resume looks a lot better than I think I thought it was going to at the beginning of the year. We thought that maybe this was going to be a one-game season. It didn't end up being the case. Uh, So, you know, just based off of these rankings, if the season ended today, they'd have wins, over number eight, Alabama, we're assuming that they win that game, number nine, Missouri, number 11, Ole Miss, and then number 21, Tennessee. That's as good a resume as anybody in college football. The dominance that they've played with uh, has done it. And again, if they beat Alabama in this game, to me, they're an easy number one seed. Oh, absolutely. And I think the benefit of the number one seed is also they get to choose where they play their semifinal, which would almost certainly be the Sugar Bowl versus the Rose Bowl. And that'll help them build that kind of a nice home audience for whoever plays them um, from the number four seed. So I agree. I think that is a safe bet for all of those reasons there, um, especially as the schedule developed. They have a team that looks like they got stronger. It's easy to um, come up with legitimate reasons for why the closest game was the last game against Georgia Tech. They obviously didn't have all their players. Um, and Georgia Tech gave them a really good hit. Uh, we'll see if Alabama can exploit it. Certainly, we're not writing off Nick Saban by any chance, especially what we've seen from the Crimson Tide. But I think the safest bet at this point, I we agree with the 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 fact that Georgia is probably going to win that game, and they would be easily that number one seed in the playoff. Now, number two is an interesting question. Then, so if we are saying, and actually goes without saying, that Michigan's going to probably go. I mean, I think I was seeing that. The, the, the over under, or at least pardon me, the, that I was only expected to score one point or less than a point. Like the question, <laughs> will they score anything in the first half? Like there's a legitimate bet that's a pick on that. But setting that aside, Michigan will probably win and we're probably going to win fairly well, especially when we use, I mean, it, it's hard to project previous games against different opponents. But the fact is, Iowa looked terrible against Penn State and Michigan has proven to be better than Penn State. So we'll see how that plays out. If they win, if they win as strong as we expect, they would be safely the number two team because they seem to be, especially after that Ohio State game, peaking at the right time. If they can display the kind of offense, the kind of uh, focus that they did against the Buckeyes, there's no reason why they shouldn't be the number two team, even though they haven't necessarily played as strong a resume as Georgia. They will have still beat Ohio State. Penn State's still fine. They're still in the top 10. Um, We have to give them that, that level of credit. No, I think that you're absolutely right. In this scenario as well, Florida State would be the only other undefeated team uh, in our potential top four. I think that obviously Michigan is on a different level than Florida State has been all year and would be as well. The the resume will end up looking pretty good. Obviously, advanced stats-wise, Michigan tends to rate really well because of their consistent dominance. Now we can have a discussion about uh, the the remaining you know nine games on the schedule that maybe allowed them to have such a dominant uh, down-to-down resume, but they do have it. 
They'll have a win over number six, Ohio State. They'll have a win over number 10, Penn State. I'd expect that Ohio State in our scenario moves down to number seven behind Texas, but still a number seven and a number 10. They'd have a win over number 16, Iowa. Again, we we don't have to get into the details of why this team is number 16 in the country, but they will be in the rankings. And I, I think that that's enough that uh, an undefeated Michigan will be the number two team. And actually, I think this is, I, I like this a lot, which is at number three, right now we have Washington. They'll be playing number five, Oregon, in what to me is the game of the weekend, one of the games of the year in college football. And I, I mentioned it on the last show, potentially the game that could decide the Heisman Trophy with Michael Penix Jr. going against Bo Nix. And I think that if Oregon wins this game, They'll obviously be a one-loss team, but their resume, uh, I think, would potentially be a lot better than what Florida State could bring out there. So I would have them as the number three team, even though they have a loss. You know, with Oregon, you're talking about obviously beating Washington. You're talking about handling Utah. You know, a lot of these teams aren't necessarily ranked right now anymore, but they're going to be considered in the top 30, the top 35, right? You have a win over Oregon State that was really dominant, who's number 20 in the country. Uh, They beat Arizona, who's number 15. So it's not necessarily going to be the same level of of high-end wins as a Michigan or a Georgia, but it's more of a consistent slate. I mean, when you look week to week what Oregon played, it was pretty impressive. And the other part of it, too, is that like Michigan, they have the benefit of week to week, down to down consistency. The advanced numbers really like them. And, you know, again, I, I got a chance to be in that committee room for a mock selection committee. One of the ways that they evaluate these teams is they'll bring two teams up next to each other, essentially. And uh, they, they can actually bring up to four with the tool that the playoff committee uses. And it compares strength of schedule. It compares them across seven key metrics that are meant to be correlated with winning games. And Oregon ranks very well among advanced metrics and advanced stats. And so I think that they're going to uh, end up rating really well. Their strength of schedule is on another level than Florida State's. And I think that they're going to be the number three team. And by the way, the thing I'd love about this is that if that were the case, that would mean that Michigan and Oregon would play in the Rose Bowl. So we'd get a real Rose Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the Rose Bowl committee would be thrilled to see these future Big Ten members play their, <laughs> their final Rose Bowl game with the traditional matchup. Um, I agree about Oregon. In this scenario, again, if under the circumstances, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Oregon win, I think Oregon would certainly be in and they would be the number three team. Um, it would remove, out. I mean, because part of the thing is if you get a one- Loss Oregon as the team that could be in the playoff, Texas would want to shout about that. But if Alabama has lost, and particularly if Georgia, the, the stronger the win by Georgia, the weaker Alabama will look, that'll undercut their, their signature win at Texas. So I think Oregon, by nature of beating a team that has a Heisman contender, if not the Heisman winner with Michael Penix Jr. in what is going to be a very high marquee game, a very, I mean, the, the, the great sequel to what just happened this past week in the game. I think it will be uh, a great opportunity, especially since it will be a revenge game, um, beating Washington in a game uh, that they had previously lost in a game where Oregon had looked like they were just as capable. It just came down to some fourth downs. It didn't quite work out. And sometimes that happens. Um, I think they would be the stronger team. Frankly, This then leaves a very, I mean, this gets into kind of an almost existential question of a committee, because then we get to the next spot in this scenario, 
which is what you would do for the fourth team. And the question is, does Florida State, by beating Louisville, despite not having Jordan Travis, do they walk in? I mean, walk in. I don't mean to say that, but do they do they automatically qualify for that fourth spot? In the very nature of the college football playoff, they're saying we're trying to reward the P5 champs. I'm sure, you know, conference champions, but we know what they meant. We, they want the idea of a P5 champion going undefeated and not getting a spot seems to be anathema to the entire existence of that. But you think about how they like to also, I mean, I don't want to say both sides of their mouth, but you hear different statements all the time. Last night in the press conference after the college football playoff ranking show, um, usually Boo Corrigan speaks, but the executive director of the college football uh, playoff, um, Bill Hancock, is usually there as well. And in, somebody had asked a question, and, and I think in the phrasing of the question, he was mostly just asking about recency bias, but it came up, uh, I asked the age-old question of most deserving versus four best. Bill Hancock immediately wanted to come in and give a straight answer on that. He wanted to say most deserving, the phrase most deserving, is not anything in the committee's lexicon. They are to rank the best teams in order, and that's just what they do. So, and he emphasized, just keep that word in mind, best teams. So if we're looking at the best teams, we're looking at, this almost feels like we're talking about the NCAA Hoops Selection Committee, where we're not looking at the team that's you know, that played before, we're looking at the team that's going to play in the tournament. Then I look at Florida State and I wonder, if Texas wins, how how's that going to fly? Because if Texas beats Oklahoma State, particularly, let's say, beats Oklahoma State quite significantly, which is quite possible. This Texas team in games where we thought they were going to have trap games has proved to not be that way. I mean, Iowa State, they looked strong. They looked especially strong against Texas Tech. And, and maybe it was a personal thing. I'm not sure, but they look so complete. If they pull another game like what we just saw against Oklahoma State and they're being compared against Florida State, I wonder if, if they truly are doing what Bill Hancock says and looking for the most deserving, or probably the best team, not the most deserving team, should it be Texas over Florida State in that sort of situation? So here's the thing, right, is that obviously, like you said, we want to get into this conversation of best versus most deserving. Uh, and the committee and Bill Hancock especially has always emphasized we're looking for the best. My thing has always been, this isn't how sports works. I mean, we don't go into the NFL playoffs and say, well, you know, let's make sure that only the best teams are in. We have to, you know, because that's not how it works. You have to play your way in. That's the point. That's how you determine that you're the best. You know, we've had nine and seven teams win the Super Bowl and nobody was like, oh, should they have gotten an opportunity to be in? It's, it's obviously very unique to college football and college football is a unique sport. I'm not saying it should necessarily be different. Um but, you know, obviously when we talk about the idea of best, it's about what you've done. It's about what you've accomplished on the field. And, again, it should be. Because imagine a scenario. Uh, imagine last year, right, that uh, that we go into this and we're like, well, you know, TCU is a 12-1 team. But, like, Alabama's probably good, right? And Alabama went and crushed Kansas State well, imagine if they just put Alabama into the playoff because they thought that they were better. Like, I don't want the committee going through things trying to be like, well, I just feel like they're better. I don't I don't think it matters what they did on the field. I don't think the game should have mattered because then we could just head into the year and and just put in the top four in Bill Connolly's rankings and just call it a day. We don't have to play any games. So to me, 
I understand the thought of like, well, you know, best versus most deserving, but I actually agree with them in a lot of ways that the way that you prove that you're the best is by playing football games. And Florida State would be a 13-0 team, an undefeated conference champion. They've got a three-touchdown win over LSU. They've held all but one opponent to 25 or fewer points. Uh, Like, I do think that obviously it's unfortunate that one of their best players is out for the season, but I don't think it should eliminate everything that's happened on the field. So I actually agree with them on that part. To me, if Florida State is a 13-0 conference champion in the Power Five, there should be no question about it. They should absolutely be in the field. So I, I get what you're saying about the NFL, for example, but the NFL has a sensible playoff system. If you win your division, if you can get your way through, you, you can win your way all the way. And, and so that's why, and you that's why I'm looking get forward to next year. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I think this is the moment where we're seeing why the four team system is broken, because they should do best teams. And I, I'm not when you only have four spots and you're starting with 133 programs, which are eventually going to balloon to 135 in a couple of seasons, you, you have to realize that they're, the traditional playoff method for four spots just doesn't work. We really, I think, I support the idea of in the circumstances we're still dealing with this season to go for best teams rather than most deserving. Because I don't think the playoffs are served if you send a most deserving team that is absolutely not favored against any of the other three teams. If we, and you could make that count argument, TCU last year similarly was probably not favored. And we saw them pull the upset, uh, what was, I think, popularly considered an upset against Michigan before uh, the reality of Georgia. I was the only, uh, I was the only major national college football analyst to pick TCU to win that game. Let's just keep that in mind. I'm sorry. Oh, which one? The Michigan game or the Georgia game? <laughs> the Michigan game. The Michigan game. Okay. Yeah, no, but I have to say, <laughs> I, I I still have to say, I mean, while that seems neat, we've seen other examples in the playoffs where a team that probably shouldn't have gone got absolutely obliterated. And year after year, there's that question of, are we rewarding a team based on the, the totality of their work and, and like a lifetime, a season-wide lifetime achievement award rather than the performance that they're going to give or the performance they just gave? Um, and while, I, again, I do caution against recency bias, overall, if I'm comparing Florida State in its current iteration against any of these other seven teams, I just don't think they're more deserving. I, and and or, not, pardon me, the best team, let alone the most deserving, because I think at this point, I kind of conflate the two a little bit. But in terms of the performance we're seeing from Florida State now, because again, we could say, yeah, the defense was also good against Florida, but Florida had their backup quarterback. It was not a, a smooth game for either for either team. And Florida, by nature of, I think, playing a weak opponent, opponent that currently only has, you know, is not going to go to a bowl. I don't feel that that team is necessarily the best team right now. And if we're going with what Bill Hancock said, and if we're supporting the college football playoff of them acting as a committee member that's taking what he said for face value, I, I wouldn't put Florida State there. But I also acknowledge that I think the committee will get backed into a corner. And by nature of what they've also said about valuing conference championships probably let them in and i think if they do if in the circumstances we're in a situation where it's florida state and oregon and texas i think texas fans are going to have the most reason to be upset that they get bypassed for a florida state team that's undefeated but not the same florida state team we were seeing a couple of weeks ago well i think i think the issue is right like should we 
punish Washington for losing 20 or, or for winning only 24 to 21 against Washington State? Should we punish Georgia for only beating Georgia Tech by eight points? Like, I, I just think that that opens up a kind of a can of worms in some way where we say that games don't count. I mean, look, one of the reasons that we wanted to get away from the BCS is because it became a beauty contest because it wasn't actually about what you did. And talk to any college football coaches. They understand the value of winning pretty, but the focus is to win the game. That That's what it's about. And the fact that teams have been able to emerge, and, and certainly we can take into context how they did it, but the, the number that matters more is the number in the win and loss column. And so for me... I get it. I, I get this has not been a great year for the ACC. I get that this has not been an exciting year uh, for Florida State in terms of their competition. They'll have an opportunity to beat another top 15 team. They're already number four uh, in our rankings, by the way. And, and also, they're going to be playing a better team than uh, than Texas will be playing as they try to move up ahead. And so I, I just don't see any pathway. Now, I will also bring uh, I, I will also bring attention to another uh, quote from Boo Corrigan, the uh, NC State's uh, athletic director, who is the chair of the CFP. Uh, by the way, Boo Corrigan was the guy whenever I was doing the CFP mock selection committee. He's a really great guy. He kind of acknowledged, like, I am not the most perfect public speaker. That's not necessarily my my greatest strength. And one thing to also remember as well. Think about the conversation that me and Bobak are having right now, right? Bobak believes that Texas is a better team than Florida State, and so they should have a really good case to be in. I believe that Florida State will be a 13-0 undefeated conference champion, and so that means that they should be in. Well, Boo Corrigan's job will be to take what we both said and somehow make it coherent whenever he t- goes and speaks to the masses. And that's <laughs> obviously not really a thing that makes any sense because that's not how it works. Uh, but Boo Corrigan said, and this is a question that I asked, I said, can you take us through the discussion between Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama and how you guys figured out that order? Um, he said... The good news is everyone is weighing into everything where their opinions are, what their point is on each one of those teams at 11 and one, all with good wins. All have obviously lost a game and looking at it as we came through evaluation of that after weighing many points and making sure that we took our time going through it, we ended up where we did at five, six, seven and eight. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't say anything. He didn't I say love a that answer thing. because there was like so he, much, so much runway, so much runway, and then the plane never is still on the tarmac. <laughs> he, he, no, it, it was again. He's in an unenviable position because I know that there are probably people in that room that disagree over how to handle it. But we've talked about it on previous shows. The fact that Texas at seven and Alabama at eight have been so concrete and set in stone is a little interesting to me. Uh, Again, if we were to end up in this scenario where Texas obviously as a 12-1 conference champion has a road win over Alabama and gets left out of the playoff, I'll tell you what, I think it's only going to make people more excited for the 12-team playoff that's coming next year. I love how that's, there's so many scenarios here. I mean, I think there's only one where you won't necessarily risk it. But even then, even in the best scenario, we're going to end up with one team, just at least one team, absolutely furious. And the rest of everyone nervously chuckling that, well, next year it'll be better. Um, (laughs) No one wants to be the team this year that's that's that's, you know, got the most grievance for uh, uh, what's going on. Oh, goodness. 
So with that said, so I think that we have three spots set. We've got Georgia at one. We've got Michigan at two. And we've got uh, Oregon in our scenario at three. But after the break, let's talk about the chaos scenarios leading into this upcoming weekend, uh, where obviously potentially a conference championship game goes the wrong direction. And we'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. And we're back. So, again, the top three in this scenario, pretty straightforward. The fourth spot is where it gets interesting. I do want to dial in for a second on Texas. Because Texas, right now, number seven. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time that an 11-1 team with that kind of non-conference victory, where they go on the road and beat Alabama by 10 points, has been this far down in the rankings. One, I think it's quite a compliment to how good the top of college football has been that we have this many teams, not even counting Louisville, who obviously lost, not even counting Penn State, who finished with two losses. But And also, by the way, Oklahoma, who has kind of screwed Texas a little bit by playing their way out of the college football playoff discussion. But this is a team right now that has a win, like we mentioned, on the road by double figures over number eight Alabama. It's a team that has a win over Kansas State, though that game did go to to double overtime. It has some really dominant wins, a a 26-point win over a Kansas team that was rolling at that point. Uh, You know, you mentioned the 57-7 against Texas Tech. They went on the road by 10 points against a really solid Iowa State team as well. They're not going to end up in the rankings, but, you know, people should understand how well they're playing right now, that this is a, a good team. But at the end of the day, like, they are not just outside right now. They are pretty far outside as well. And the more I think about it, the more it feels a little bit absurd, only because, uh, I mean, and I can actually use the same argument I was just using against uh, Texas, because the team, if we're looking at the best team right now, if I look back at that week two game with Alabama, that Alabama team was not the same Alabama team we're seeing now. They are arguably, one, and especially, you know, if they were to defeat Georgia, they would look like one of the best four teams right now. But Texas at this point, I mean, if Georgia defeats Alabama, loses a bit of the luster on that key win. But then I also look at their only loss. It was Oklahoma. It was by a couple points in a very close game, a game that people thought was one of the games of the year when it was finished. It was a game in a neutral site, which, you know, and that that truly is in the old Cotton Bowl. You could say arguably, and and that's where you get an interesting push versus the shove with Oregon, because Oregon also lost a very close game at Washington, and that is an extremely hostile environment. So you could see that push and pull there. But overall, especially when we're looking at the the total value for Texas, I just see wins that, and I see consistency. Because they they went through a stretch. I'm also going to acknowledge, after the Red River rivalry, we saw that series of Houston, BYU, Kansas State, TCU, where it seemed like they were almost allowing the other team back in. Um, Obviously, the Houston game, it was an injury. We kind of, you kind of have to put that asterisk by it. But 
watching the team in those games, I thought, okay, Texas seems to be falling off a little bit. They don't seem to be quite as focused. But Iowa State is where I started to change my opinion on them. And then seeing the, again, we're talking about the beauty contest. That Texas Tech win really felt like a BCS era beauty contest. Like when a team in the Big East would just take everything out on Temple and Rutgers. Like it just felt like that kind of a, that kind of a victory. <laughs> but and there was a lot of side stories going on there. We won't get into the depth of it just for the sake of conversation. But I think Texas has that level of strength. And that is where they're going to be a really interesting kind of X factor in all of this. I mean, in, in some of the other variations, which we certainly could talk, I could see where the committee is also going to have to face that question as well. Like, where do you rank them if Team X loses? Where do you rank them? I mean, I'm trying to imagine like which teams Texas is most. If I'm a Texas fan, what teams do I want to see win? I want to be a big Louisville fan. Absolutely. I want to be a big uh, Alabama would also arguably be another team that if I'm a Texas fan, I'm rooting hard for Alabama in the SEC title game. Because then suddenly you have the team who crushed Alabama, you know, as the other. I mean, what do you think about that? So this is, I think, where it gets really interesting uh, is that Alabama beating Georgia scenario, because we mentioned Georgia's resume, even without Alabama, is pretty good there. I, I don't think this Georgia team is as good as 2022 or 2021 Georgia, but they're playing really well. I'd imagine that in the advanced stat categories that are being considered, they'd rate really highly. Uh, They're still ranked number one over Michigan right now. And if they were to lose, they would only be a 12 and one team. They would. It's not like they'd be a two loss team. So, yes, I think that Texas having the tie break per se over Alabama would be great. But if Alabama were to beat Georgia and there was a 12 and one Alabama SEC champion, a 12 and one SEC runner up in Georgia. And then obviously we're assuming a 13 and 0 team in Michigan. I don't know. W- would that be better? Would that be worse? And, and because I think that in that scenario, and, and we can maybe run through the scenarios in that, I think Michigan's the number one seed in that situation because they'd be the 13 and 0 Big Ten champion. If Washington were to win, I think they'd be the number two seed. If Oregon wins, it's a little more complicated, I think. But they'd still, I think, get in. Florida State then, as a 13-0 conference champion, you feel like probably has to be in, in that scenario. But then you've got Georgia, you've got Alabama, you've got Texas. I, I don't know how that would work out because, you know, one of the things that they also emphasize as well is that when you're talking about the conference championship, when you're talking about head-to-head, it's a tiebreaker when they view you as a comparable team, right? Oklahoma has a head-to-head win over Texas. There's no consideration of that fact when you're comparing them as an 11-1 versus 10-2 team. They don't view them as being of the same tier, so it's not relevant. And even even before, by the way, when Oklahoma was a one-loss team, they were still ranked behind Texas because the committee kind of said, we feel like Texas is on another level than, uh, than Oklahoma. Now I do think that 12 and one conference champion Texas would be considered on the same level as Alabama. But I think the more interesting question is, do they view 12 and one Georgia as being on the same level of both of those two teams? I think we're in an interesting situation if Georgia loses, because in any other year, I think Georgia with just one loss in the SEC title game would be, we've seen it before, you can lose the SEC title game and still end up 
in this college football playoff and win it all. Hell, Georgia did it themselves. But this is the year with so many contenders, with eight bonafide teams. We're going to end up with four teams that are going to probably have cleaner resumes. And that's where we get into an interesting situation. I think Georgia losing the SEC title game under most circumstances with how these teams shake out would be the worst possible time to break their streak. I mean, it would be their third. They'd be going for their 30th victory. If they managed to fall short with the other teams winning, I think, again, I think you're right. It doesn't matter who wins a PAC 12 title game in that sense. I mean, Washington or Oregon would probably be in Michigan. We're again, we're assuming they'd be in, but when we're looking at the remaining teams is if Texas wins out, I could see the, for two different reasons, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how the, the, the committee would kind of say that. They're, gonna, they're probably going to mention the conference champion aspect, but I think they're going to feel very, very, very weird about leaving out one of the other conferences to let in two SEC teams. Normally, they've not had a problem with that. If anything, they've made that easy enough for themselves. But I think with this particular situation, um, Georgia would have lost at the worst possible time for getting into the college football playoff because this year is, and again, a wonderful transition to the 12 year. But for this year, I, I think in those circumstances, they have no way in. So l- let's, let's work out this scenario, right? So we got Michigan undefeated one seed. We got Washington. I think that's the cleanest undefeated two seed. Florida state is a 13 and zero, right? So we're, we're looking for two spots. We've got 13 and zero Florida state as an ACC conference champion. We've got 12 and one Texas. We've got 12 and one Alabama. We've got 12 and one Georgia. First, what do you think the committee would do? And two, what would you do? I think at this rate, if the committee is going to go in the direction I'm saying, they will go with Michigan as the winner of the Big Ten. Washington, as I agree, number two as a winner of the Pac-12. I think they would still let in Florida State. Um, Although I think Alabama would be the three seed. And Florida State would still probably be the four seed. They would they would kind of go in both directions. They would say, you know, we're looking at the best team, but at the same time, we think Alabama is still probably. It would be their weird concession that, yeah, we do agree this Florida State team isn't looking as strong as they had before. Um, presuming the Louisville game isn't some incredible blowout where we're like, where did this this new Knowles team come from? But um, I think that's how we're going to see it. And I think that uh, uh, Georgia just won't be able to fit in in those circumstances. I mean, I would say Texas would have a bigger, better argument there if if the committee were to try and decide. I'd actually be very curious to then see who the first team left out is. Would it be Georgia or would it be Texas in that scenario? Um, which would be funny because both teams would be angry, but one team would be angrier. <laughs> well, I feel like if that were to happen and Texas were to be left out, I feel like you have to have them as the sixth seed. Because if you've got Alabama at three or four, and Texas at five, how can you in good faith make the argument that the team that beat them head-to-head on the road by 10 points was that close to them, but you went the other direction? Like, like I feel like you have to make the case at that point that actually we just don't think that Texas is of that caliber, that we don't think that it's in their class. But I, I don't know how you can necessarily make that argument. I think they tend to sometimes, to some extent, lock into the ranking of the team at the moment they were beat. So the fact that Georgia's number one is going to, I think, play more into why they would put them ahead of Texas in that sense. With Texas, even when they played Alabama, Alabama was number three. And although the idea of Alabama unseating Georgia would certainly push them ahead, I could see at least in figuring out five and six, 
how they would rank them would, would have a little bit of recency bias, even though they like to deny that they have it. I could certainly say them saying, well, this Georgia team looked as strong as they ever have been, and now they finally were defeated, so therefore we think we're going to put them as the number five. But ultimately, it's not going to make anybody happy <laughs> one way or the other, because like, if you ain't number four or above, you ain't, you ain't it. Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. And I mean, like, I think that if Alabama beats Georgia, the committee has to be praying that Florida State loses to Louisville so that they can let both of those teams in. Because it's just, and I think that another question to ask of this is the committee has time and time again given Oregon a lot of credit, uh, likely because they rate pretty well in advanced metrics, likely because, uh, you know, in things like game control, they they really rate highly. So I, I think the question becomes, does Oregon beating Washington and being a 12 and one team, does that change the calculus or in your mind, because I think it is in my mind, is Oregon still potentially the number two team in that scenario? That's a great question. Do you rank them as number two? I mean, Michigan again, number one. Um, I could see the benefit of Alabama being Georgia, pushing them up to the number two seed above an Oregon team that just defeated Washington, only because I think the committee, I mean, we, they've demonstrated by their current ranking that they value Georgia as a stronger team at this point. And being the number two and number three seems to be, I mean, that, that does let you determine where your, your, the game is going to be played for the semifinal, from what I understand. I think the number two team also gets to pick the, uh, well, really, they don't. They just get whatever the first team didn't matter. So actually, it's a yeah, moot point. Yeah. So that's a good question. Is being right. number two and three a moot point? Because those two teams are going to yeah. have to play each other anyway, and they're going to play in the bowl that the first team didn't want. Um, so Michigan would presumably, I don't know what Michigan would want. Actually, I'm very curious to know, if Michigan were number one, would they want the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl? I think tradition tells me it's a very Michigan thing to want to play in the Rose Bowl, especially the final traditional Rose Bowl match. Well, it wouldn't necessarily be a traditional Rose Bowl matchup, um, but they would like that to, to kind of have that be a, a fun way, a finale for this season that they've all been hoping for. But at the same time, I mean, if we're looking at driving distance, I mean, New Orleans is, is a little bit closer, a little bit easier to get to. But I think I'd safe bet they'd probably pick the Rose Bowl. Do, do you yeah. think that? I mean, yeah. not I to think sidetrack that- it, but I never really <laughs> thought about it. I mean, if we're thinking geography, maybe New Orleans. But really, in reality, I think they they Michigan man, so to speak, this this great thing like the reasonably prudent person, this hypothetical um, uh, person would prefer to play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I think it would be the Rose Bowl. I mean, the reality is, right, if you are Michigan and you're going to the playoff and you're picking from one of these, really any of the, I mean, any of the six, if you really want to get technical about it, I mean, it's all about flights, right? Like nobody's driving to these games anyway. They're flying out of Chicago where all of the Big Ten grads live. And I think that, you know, from their perspective, one, Chicago to LA is a super easy flight. Obviously, New Orleans isn't hard by any means, but it's it's a super easy flight. Uh, two, you mentioned the history of the Rose Bowl, and three, like I don't know, man, it's the Rose Bowl. Like like it is the Rose Bowl. I think that uh, that it would uh, probably go that direction. It's actually kind of funny too because you mentioned Georgia, Alabama. I mean, Alabama can't get the number one seed really under any circumstance, but they would want the Sugar Bowl for sure. They, they would want the Sugar Bowl. Uh, 
after that, like, because we're talking Oregon, Washington. I mean, Texas would want the Sugar Bowl as well. In fact, one of the things would probably be for uh, for Michigan is less necessarily that they'd care that much about Rose Bowl versus Sugar Bowl and more that they'd count about care about the fact that a number four seed would potentially be Florida State or Texas or Alabama. And those teams would travel much better to the Sugar Bowl than uh, than they would to the Rose Bowl. So maybe that factors in. I don't know. There's there's a lot of moving parts is the point. Uh, you know, I, I think that it obviously would. Uh, I, I think that Michigan, though, would choose the Rose Bowl in that scenario. And so, again, we're talking Michigan at number one. I, I think with the way that they've been treated, I think that Oregon would still be the number two seed. Like you said, two or three, it doesn't really matter. It's just, I'm That's such a, do you think it's have- because of momentum. Do you think it's momentum that they've always been the top one loss team? So there's no reason to change that now. And that if we're going to pick between the one loss Alabama and a one loss Oregon, we're going to still keep Oregon above it and just say, make some back excuse for, we'll see how then we'll see the rest of the rankings, how they're done. And then suddenly we're going to see Utah pop back up. <laughs> or uh, or something like that to kind of to to kind of backfill a little bit. Or do they really do think that Oregon is the stronger team with Alabama? I do wonder because you've been on this mock committee. How much in that kind of a situation between number two and number three, if it seems this close, is there a, how serious does the debate get? Or is there a point where that they just say, look, between these two, it'll work itself out. You know, it, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that the discussion uh, between two and three was a pretty small portion of the discussion. Just for context, right, uh, usually when they do the mock committee, because one, it's the most controversial that they've ever done, and two, because they wanted to to hurt my feelings specifically, they always do the 2014 college football playoff whenever we have this discussion. And so it was pretty straightforward, right? Um, I will say a lot of people push for Florida State in the 2014 version to be the number one seed instead of Alabama because they were an undefeated ACC champion, obviously played really dominant football. Also, by the way, uh, EJ Manuel was in the room, so I obviously he had some thoughts about that. But uh, former Florida State quarterback, for people who don't know, um, ultimately I think they ended up, I think they maybe ended up in our committee moving from three to two and Oregon was three. But like you said, it didn't end up mattering. More of the discussion was Ohio State versus Baylor versus TCU because that was the real discussion. And so if we're in a scenario where Michigan is locked in at one uh, and Oregon is going to be one of two or three, I I agree. I think that it probably doesn't get much actual discussion um, because the reality is it comes down to who's considered the home team, which means who gets to wear colored jerseys. And hey, I think yeah. I think Oregon's going to be just all right when it comes to jerseys, no matter what. Yeah, they have they have the perfect attire for any for any occasion. <laughs> um, <laughs> goodness. So I think then it'll break down to that number four spot. Really, I think there's no debate that we'll see some mix of Oregon and Alabama. And then it's going to be another argument between Florida State. And Texas, I do acknowledge that I think the committee will still favor Florida State only because of their desire to reward an undefeated conference champion, even if it contradicts the, the concept of the best team uh, when, they're, when they're making that so, ranking. I will say, to me, if I'm making this decision and I'm looking at, one, the precedent that I want to set, the precedent matters a little less because we're about to move to 12. It's going to be less of a big deal. But 
if I want to set precedent, if I want to talk about what the committee has valued and should be valuing, if I want to acknowledge what's written in the bylaws of how they decide this, I think that the two things you have to look at through this scenario are conference championships. We have too many good conference champions under consideration and head to head. And so for me, the team that has that advantage would be Texas. And to me, it should be, this is a should, this is not a will, but this is a should. It should be Michigan at one. It should be Oregon at two, Florida State at three, and Texas at four. But I think we can acknowledge that the SEC is never getting left out of this gosh darn tournament. Well, that's that's when we see a second civil war just immediately <laughs> like erupt. I don't even know like what where would they target CFB headquarters? Yeah, probably. Where is he? It's it's in it's in your neck of the woods, it's isn't in it? It's out in the, it's in in the metroplex. Yeah, or I think it might be in Irving technically. So. It, same, same difference, same difference. <laughs> oh my goodness. We'd see a siege. We'd see a siege and then, you know, <laughs> they, they would have to try and break the siege of, uh... <laughs> of course, Texas would be in this weird circumstance. They're like, but we are kind of a soon to be SEC program. I could totally see that. Would, or would that be it? Would, would the, the way the SEC fans kind of go is like, well, Texas is about to be an SEC team. So good enough. We'll just claim that one. We'll claim a, a, a half. You know, like a you know a point five sack. You know, we'll, we'll take yeah. that. I I can't wait for. Uh, I mean, listen, we, we got to see it with the Big Ten. I cannot wait to see SEC legend Vince Young, SEC legend Adrian Peterson, uh, and SEC national championship twenty twenty three Texas. Goodness gracious! I, I love when these things happen. Oh my goodness. So let's see, what's another scenario we could twist here that is believable? I mean, I'm not saying like, we're not going to go out there and just say Iowa, we're, you know, <laughs> Iowa will beat Michigan or, you That's know, that really one just possible. that we'll deal with that bridge when it gets here. But what's another variant that's kind of got your attention? So I think that the, the funniest scenario that we have to acknowledge is the Ohio state chaos scenario. And that's this mm. Georgia wins. They're locked in at number one. Uh, and Michigan wins. They're number two. Texas loses. Florida State loses. And uh, and potentially then, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, whatever gets in. Mm -hmm. So then you're looking at a scenario where you're comparing a whole bunch of uh, of 11 and two teams versus an 11 and one team. And I think maybe Ohio State might get into the fields. I completely agree. When I was doing this math, because at first we had this whole conversation because we went into this week um, with a previous show. We had to vote one of the eight teams off the island. And with the recent loss, it just seemed Ohio State had one of the least likely routes. And I think they do, but it isn't that unlikely. It isn't what we were talking about when we were talking about how Louisville prior to last week could theoretically somehow back its way into the playoff if enough things go wrong. But this isn't... These are not implausible scenarios. We're not asking for like just some incredible upsets. We're just trying to see if Louisville can take out Florida State. And I think with the current state of Florida State, it is certainly possible. And even though Louisville also lost, I think, again, their running defense isn't great at Florida State. And the running offense of, of Louisville is excellent. And so is the defense. So that could create problems for a backup quarterback. And Texas losing to Oklahoma State seems a little less likely, but... Not outside the realm of the possibility. We know Mike Gundy himself is a very much an agent of chaos. And this whole season has been that team rising up against tough opponents and just laying eggs for against. I mean, 
It's uh, if maybe that's it. Maybe the the ultimate trump card for Texas is to show up for the game in warm up in the jerseys of South Alabama. Just borrow them and warm up in that, and just you know, put suddenly or and then maybe also half the players have like UCF jerseys on, like space game jerseys on, just to mess with the head of of tech of pardon me of Oklahoma State, and then watch what happens when they get on the field. But setting aside that kind of a mind game, I think. This is interesting because we have two teams that have been stepping up. Texas has stepped up when it needs to, certainly against Alabama. And although they lost, they certainly put a a heck of an effort against Oklahoma and obviously defeated, uh, you know, some other ranked teams in the process that we've discussed. But Oklahoma State has that ability to rise up. So the idea of them going up there and and, and taking out Texas does leave a scenario where I don't know who else Ohio State would be competing against. We'd be saying, I, I could not. That's one where I say Ohio State's in because there is no way. They are the committee. We've been talking about like, will the committee ever deny an undefeated conference champion if Florida State wins out? I, I think there's a, some of an argument there. I think there is still a zone where Florida State could be not let in, but I think there is zero, 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 zero chance that a one loss Ohio State team would be left behind for any two loss program. Um, and in that scenario, I think they're in no matter what. Now, the real question is uh, if Oregon beats Washington by like two points, like basically the way that Washington beat Oregon last time. Uh, w- like if the committee were real ones, they would put Oregon and Washington both in 12 and one and 12 and one. Now we know the committee will not be real ones. We know that Mike Pence does not have the courage to put Washington into the field. But 12 and 1 Washington, after running through 19 straight wins, I think should be more of a consideration, but they won't be. And uh, yeah, it, I do think that this scenario is unlikely. And by the way, Ohio State fans should like be the they should send Mark Stoops a gift basket. They, they should send him like, well, I, I guess they tried to in the form of uh, making him the next Texas A&M coach. And it, you know, he, he didn't really receive the <laughs> offer. But like if Louisville was an 11-1 team playing against 12-0 Florida State, I think that that team, I think that game's potentially a play-in. Uh, short of some of these scenarios that we're talking about. Like, I think that Louisville absolutely at 12 and one conference champion gets in over Ohio state in that situation, but they're a 10 and two team. And I don't think that a 10 and two team is going to get in over them. I don't, but now that you evoke that situation, I can't even imagine the chaos that would have erupted. Like that would have been a rage scenario uh, that would have been unprecedented. I can't even imagine the vitriol that we would have started hearing from Ohio State fans if we had ended up with a scenario where a one win, probably one loss Louisville team ended up ahead against them. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm already looking forward to imagining what the online discussions during the games for, uh, <laughs> um, for Texas and for Florida State are going to be like coming from uh, Buckeye accounts. I can only imagine what it's going to be like during those conference championship games because any hope they have for getting in the playoff is going to ride on those two losses. And uh, but again, they're plausible. This isn't this isn't screaming against the wind. This isn't like, come on, Iowa. This is like these are believable scenarios that um, that I would I could think it would be credible. Goodness let's, gracious. Let's close with this. Let's close with this. So uh, the Big 12 does have a trump card potentially. And I'm curious, do you think that they could this could get text into the field? Do you think that it matters that 
The Undertaker and Nelly are going to be in the building whenever Texas plays for the Big 12 championship on Saturday. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did not realize Nelly. Like Nelly, like, you know, two is not a winner and three no one remembers. Like we're talking that Nelly, <laughs> right? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like a 2002's finest. <laughs> you know, if the Undertaker's in there though, that said, I, I have a I have a warm spot for the Undertaker. I watched his debut at the Survivor Series when no one knew what we were gonna see. When he came out there with Paul Bearer, not Paul Bearer, pardon me, a uh, brother love. I'm old enough. Okay, I remember this. This was like exciting. The friend would would get the pay-per-view and we would all go to his house and you know we'd eat pizza and act obnoxious because it's it's classic wwf not ef i'm from that era baby but you know that the idea of the undertaker being there and and winning one for the undertaker maybe i could see that 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 that'll be the x factor a texas you know? fan by the way a texas fan he is and he's gonna get them to rise up not from the grave it's not like they've been buried but he's gonna get them to transcend walk up like Old school Undertaker, like getting up, not showing anything, not not selling anything that the opponent throws at him. This immovable force that will will Texas all the way into the playoff, no matter what happens. Yeah, I, I could see that. Let's see some Undertaker magic. Let's get let's get that. I, I like it. And, and I don't know who I mean, of course, Michigan, what Michigan now has, I guess, the, the nature boy, Ric Flair. He's their guy. Now I'm trying to think who the WW, uh, the classic superstar would be for each one. I mean, Georgia has um, uh, uh, Goldberg. Because Goldberg didn't Goldberg, yeah, Goldberg's a big. Please uh, do not ask Dogs me. Fan. I I have, d- did not grow up in wrestling. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, you're well, Goldberg. Goldberg's after I started paying attention, but I know Goldberg's been a real big advocate for the dogs. He, I, I believe, he even played for them at one point. Um, I and I know there's a, there's a classic connection between. If you really want to get okay, not gonna, not gonna waste your time here, but if you really want to get into the esoteric history of wrestlers, look up West Texas A and M's alumni for their football team and you see a bunch of 80s wrestlers came out of there like there was a team for west texas a&m and they currently play in d2 um that that had like just a ton of superstars on it for some reason or whatever and a lot of them came from minnesota way out here i mean the the legion of doom came from out here and obviously laurenitis became a a heck of a player at uh ohio state so uh he was with the son of the of the wrestler not he wasn't one of them but um (laughs) i love that stuff it's great there's so much overlap there well, we'll yeah. see if, if if the Undertaker decides to be the uh, to be the player. Like, can you imagine if we get a situation where a pro wrestler runs onto the field and does a game saving tackle that gets flagged? Like something version of the Rice game where the Rice player went out and like tackled someone, you know, from the sideline. Let, let, let's see that. If that happens, we'll have that conversation next week for sure. Yeah, come on. You don't you don't have to tell me about uh, West Texas A and M, Canyon, Texas, baby, uh, out there. I've I've been through there uh, back when I was at Dave Campbell's sex football, but. Yeah, I, I'm not a wrestling person. Uh, they, they sent me a list of names of people who are going to be there, and I didn't really know what any of them meant. I, I think they're impressive. Uh, hold on, let me let me see. I have the I have the list here. So, in addition to the Undertaker, we've got Drew McIntyre, we've got Sheamus, we've got Jade Cargill, announcer Samantha Irvin. Uh, earlier in the week, we've got Ricochet and Raquel Rodriguez. These names, uh, other than The Undertaker, who I mostly know through GIFs, uh, none of these names mean anything to me. You know, I, I should point out something. And I just remembered, because this is the Big 12 title game. This is all Brett Yormark's doing. Yep, and yep, I mean yep. that in a complimentary fashion. I, yep. I have nothing but respect for what Commissioner Yormark's done in terms of trying to, uh, to, to bring the conference into the modern day and not this old state, you know, 
kind of uh, uh, out of touch with the nation's youth kind of thing. Because last year we saw they had that tie-in with Bape, a.k.a. a bathing ape, when they did those kinds of wacky side, uh, pardon me, Big Ted 12 logos and, and things like that. But this year I know they're doing all that stuff with WWE, tying in with them. They're going to have an MVP championship belt that is actually created by the WWE for the the Big 12 title game MVP. So that now that you now that you've mentioned it, Undertaker being there makes a whole lot of sense and it helps that he is a Texas fan. But now I'm wondering is there going to be a surprise? They should have like a uh they should have a halftime match between I don't know somebody representing uh of course, you know, they admitted stage, so I, I don't know how you would even resolve that by, by having an Oklahoma State or just have someone from the Oklahoma State wrestling team show up, an actual wrestler, um, and, and have that go up. And we'll see how that goes. But goodness, I cannot wait. This is going to be such an exciting weekend of football. Uh, all of these games. I know you're all going to be all of you listening. Less, you're definitely the folks. You are bread and butter. You're the folks that are going to go out there and watch it. But we cannot wait to see next time we get together. Um, we're going to do a show, by the way. We're coming up. We're going to do a show on Sunday right after these selections are made. So we're going to we're going to have an immediate reaction. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, this is this is the time of year, man. The other thing, too, by the way, obviously, we are part of the advanced local media family of of, uh, of networks. We've got a lot of teams with some really, really good advanced beat writers. You know, we got ale.com. We got my boy Matt Stahl over there. We've got, of course, Leah Van covering Texas. We've got Aaron McMahon, who we had on to, to talk about Michigan. This could be, a, a, by the way, James Crepia covering Oregon for Oregon Live. Look, we are, we are lining up to have an elite run of being able to preview some of these games. So I'm excited for it to be over. I'm, I'm excited to get to, to really talk about these games. And look, again, we have too many teams this year that we would like to see play in the playoff. And that is fantastic because just look next year, man. It's on the way. Absolutely. So for both of us, uh, we wanted to thank all of you who listen to us. We want to thank our producer, Joey Alberti. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us again on X slash Twitter at CFB Survivor Show, where you can vote and message us your thoughts. I'm Bob Ekayeri. He's Shehan Jayaraja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com. We'll talk to you later. Take care. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.